welcome to episode four of another Architecture Podcast. I'm George Bradley, architect and director of London-based studio Bradley van der Straten, and this podcast is for anyone who's interested in going behind the scenes of designing a house. I talk to architects from around the world about how they create inspirational places to live. In this episode, I talk to the architect Melissa White. Originally from Canada, she founded Melissa White Architects in London, and they focus predominantly on the transformation of existing houses. Melissa's partner used to be my boss at Denton Corker Marshall Architects many years ago, and last year we bumped into each other at London's Don't Move Improve Awards, where her beautiful project, Connaught House, was shortlisted for an award. It's a lovely design with a very distinctive picture window and built-in snug bench, which is cocooned by exposed timber beams and the walls and the ceilings. We were also shortlisted at the awards, but alas, neither of us won. However, we got on so well that night, so Melissa was top of my list and the first to be invited to join me for an interview when I launched this podcast. In the interview, we had a really nice conversation about shared experiences of working closely with families on the transformation of their homes, and I got a really good insight into how Melissa works and what have been her influences. I hope you enjoy listening. Hello, Melissa. Thank you for joining another architecture podcast. Hi, George. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm going to start with, before we, we start talking about Melissa White Architects, I'm really interested to go back a little bit and just find out how you got into architecture in the first place. Ah, wow. Um, I guess I came at architecture kind of in a very roundabout way. Um, I guess kind of even going back a bit further, my uh, in my family... It's all engineers, um, very engineer-heavy family. And perhaps, I think, growing up, that gave me a bit of a distorted idea of what an architect did, um, or sort of the role of architecture, perhaps. I think as engineers, it was very much um, the focus on engineering being sort of the top of the pile, and architects just sort of running around doing what the engineers were uh, were told what to do. Um, And uh, even within that sort of engineering background um i was a bit of a black sheep in fact i was very much a black sheep and art was my interest i really wanted to be in um i did my first degree in in fine art uh in painting was the focus with a bit of sculpture on the side um very much to the chagrin of my family but um that was very much my my passion um very art focused approach to things Somewhere along the way, I did a an exchange actually to um, to Lisbon uh, in Portugal, um, fine art uh, part of the fine art program. I was there for um, a year uh, studying painting and architecture, um, and I just I fell in love with the city. I fell in love with the buildings. I think I, it really it was my first time in Europe as a Canadian, and. Um, it really opened my eyes to the possibility of architecture and how architecture can really affect you. Um, I think coming from a very sort of suburban background from Canada, um, wide open spaces, um, it really blew my mind sort of the intensity of the city and um, the uh, the buildings themselves um, and the artistic sort of nature of the building themselves, buildings themselves. And um, my teacher at the time was very much based between sculpture and architecture. And I think he really put me on the road to looking at architecture in a very different way, in a very artistic way, in a very sort of 
sculptural way um, and a very um, anthropological approach to how architecture can affect us. And I think that's when I was hooked. I think that's when I got the bug for architecture. Um, finished my uh, architecture degree, my, my sorry, my painting degree, and um, applied for architecture. So I was in I was in school for a really long time, actually. Um, and uh, again, my family were completely shocked that that was the direction that I was choosing is to start looking at architecture because it was so it came from, you know, completely out of nowhere. Um, but starting the course and starting architecture again, I just I felt completely in love. I fell in love with the process. I think what I was missing from the art side was a sense of parameters and a sense of logic. And I liked the artistic approach, but it was the, um, gosh, the, yeah, I think the, the brief and the parameters and, and working with people. Uh, art can be a very solitary practice. And what I found very quickly in architecture is that it's the complete opposite. Um, so it was still giving me sort of that creative breadth, but very much working with people, working with parameters, you've got structural issues, you've got um, building control issues. And I think when you sort of put obstacles in the way, it makes you think laterally. And I really enjoyed that creative problem solving that I found with, um, with architecture. And then I think along with that, it just came up with composition, materials, truth to materials. Um, it it just fit really well. And I got really excited and became very passionate very quickly with architecture. So architecture was, was clearly on the radar early on with, with engineers and the family, you were kind of aware of it as a profession. At what point did it kind of set in that we, did you move on to studying the course because you had a really clear idea of, I want to be an architect. So therefore I want to study this degree. Yes. I mean, I think at that point I, I had to sit long and hard thinking about it because it is a long degree. I'd already had um, a degree under my belt, um, but it felt very much like the right thing to do. And on retrospect, I think back to even as a child, I used to, I'm very spatially aware. And I think, again, it was my training in Lisbon that brought that about. Um, but thinking back to as a child, I used to walk into spaces and assess if they were symmetrical or asymmetrical or there was always sort of a little conscious tick in my head assessing space although I didn't understand it and couldn't um, uh, explain it as a child um, there was something there about just emotional your emotional attachment to a space and what happens when you walk into a space and how you feel in a space and that's something that I'm very interested in still with architecture. And your work, Melissa, you specialise a lot with residential projects, so working directly with families and transforming their transforming their homes. Um, was that something that was clear to you right from the beginning? Because I think a lot of people come into architecture from very different angles, and sometimes they end up on a path they maybe didn't expect. Was was this a part of your plan? Was that something you were expecting? I think architecture with a human touch was very much what I was interested in, and. I found that with um, with working with families and and homes and, res and residents, I think very I think it was very clear early on um, that that was the approach that I wanted to take and sort of the area that I wanted to work in with architecture. Um, again, it's that very much um, community and uh, participation and collaborative approach to architecture that I really enjoy and making a difference to somebody's space. On, on a daily basis, I think it's not sort of the big whiz-bang architecture that I'm interested in, but architecture very much um, 
on a very tactile, very intimate, very daily approach. And, um, and that fits perfectly with families. So I found my place, families, um, private clients, etc. And so what's the, I'm interested in this art background and coming to it, um, I'm kind of understanding maybe slightly late, you'd already done one degree. What kind of different angle do you think that sort of brought to your work by having that kind of background? Oh gosh, at first um, I was really embarrassed. A lot of people, because the degree, the architecture degree that I did um, is sort of for mature, not for mature students, but a lot of people had part of a degree at least beforehand. And I was really embarrassed about having come from an art background. I thought I was a bit flaky and a lot of people would come from geography, from maths. It was a whole wide range of different um, backgrounds. Um, And again, yeah, I was just very sort of sheepish coming from an uh, an art background. And I realized actually it really um, set the way I look at work and, uh, and architecture and the way I approach it. Um, very compositional, um, and I, I learned very to not be embarrassed, <laughs> I guess, about the art background and really embrace it. And I think I still bring that to the work in terms of the way things are composed and um, I think curated is a word that I come back to a lot with architecture. I mean, I think the word curation is, I think it's an excellent way to, a word I'd use to describe your work. I do think that a lot of your projects and the homes you've designed, there is an aspect of the painting and the portrait and the way you frame windows and the way you frame views that uh, they feel like they're very curated views, curated for a family that they can live in them, but they're, they're beautiful in their own right. Um, I'm just really interested in finding out how you how you develop those designs. What's your approach to designing homes and working with clients? I think it's a really personal approach. Um, I think perhaps you understand that from your, um, from your work as well, working with clients um, on a very intimate level. We spend a lot of time at the brief stage, really getting to know our clients. It's a very intimate, very personal approach um, with people. And um, I think the word portrait actually really resonates, that it's a spatial portrait for that client. Um, and you might have the same building, um, but with a, every client, it's um, the result is very different. So it's very much spending a lot of time at the beginning on the brief, understanding the client, um, how they live and work through a space and what they want to achieve. Um, I find that really interesting. And, uh, and again, it is, it's very personal and you get very intimate with your clients and um, it's, it's quite a joy. It's quite a pleasure to um to be able to work at that level with people and how how do you do it how do you pull out a brief or develop a brief for the client is it a case of of you're kind of making lists and notes or is it like some other architects say that they they go into a house and instantly the concept comes to them and it all comes from one sketch what's what's your process oh wow no i don't think i've ever walked into a place um and had the concept immediately it feels very much it's um I always think of it like a bit like a science lab. Um, it's you're spending a lot of time with the client. Ask, there's a, we have a big questionnaire that we work with, with our clients. Um, spend a lot of time asking personal questions. Um, it's not so much about where they are at the moment, but almost what aspirations of where they want to be. And I think people have, they surprise themselves. A lot of clients really surprise themselves with this, that um, they think they've brought in an architect um, to do X, Y, Z. But actually, as an architect, 
you have to go in and understand them and realize that, yes, they need a bit of X, Y, and Z, but they also need sort of a bit of um, ABC and sort of some different aspects that perhaps they didn't originally um, perceive or understand about themselves. So you're predicting, in a way, what their aspirations and what their needs will be. Um, so they can... I think it's about the longevity of a place as well. So it's not just a quick fix. It's not just a go in and you put in a box at the back of a house um, to give them extra space. It has nothing to do with square meterage um, and, you know, taking planning boxes or anything like that. It's very much about, oh gosh, um, a collaborative approach. And, um, and it's, you have to go through that organic process with the client of asking a lot of questions, testing things out, and I think in that that's how the design evolves. Um, we might go to a client sort of at post brief, post sort of analyzing the existing house. And um, we kind of then go away. And I always find that this is one of the funnest parts of our job is that we then can kind of explore two to four weeks, um, just exploring a building and almost dovetailing the existing building with the client, with the new. Um, and I think it's those aspects that then start to, that the design starts to evolve out of, um, then we generally have a meeting and it's kind of one of my funnest, most favorite meetings actually with the clients as well. Um, we sit down, we might have, um, between four and six different options. And I think it really, it brings up a conversation about, um, I think they're always without a doubt, hundred percent in this meeting, you always get, everyone's always surprised about what you can and can't achieve. Um, the ideas. Um, and I think it's a bit, the four to six options might have a melting pot of ideas and it's just sort of a bit of pick and mix. Um, and it really, from that process, you get this really great conversation. Um, I think visually clients start to understand what's important to them and um, what their needs are. And I think from this, that's how, I guess that's how the design evolves really, is through these sort of the brief, a bit of play, um, some deep conversations, some really thinking through what's important to them as a client and their daily life. And it, it, it's, it's really key, isn't it? This process of what you're talking about, of understanding a client developing a brief and and the ideas part from the architect is is really important but the communication side is so important as well particularly when it's with families that maybe have never worked with an architect before what what are your tools how do you translate the ideas that you've got in your head and that you've developed into options that a client can understand and make an informed choice that is tough and you get a wide range of different clients people who are very savvy about, um, they understand drawings, certainly from, you know, estate agents and having gone through the process of purchasing a house, um, looking at drawings becomes, is quite easy. Um, and then you get people who, um, actually are very flustered and very nervous about understanding drawings and, um, having to make big choices, extremely big choices. So it's very much a slow, um, I see it as very hand-holding and having to describe things a lot. Um, we do a lot of images. We do a lot of mood boards. Um, of course, we do 3Ds as well. Um, and, um, yeah, just a lot of drawings and probably kind of jumping up and comparing spaces <laughs> and 
pulling out the tape measure and um, trying to give them as much of a visual understanding of what we're aiming for and what we want to do with them. That one of my favorites is is going around to, to clients and after you've sort of presented ideas and they've really gone to town with it and kind of taped out one of the proposals that you've done. Um, I don't know if you ever get that one often or if, if you've ever had anything else maybe that a client's done that's surprised you or, you know, you talked earlier about often the clients being surprised by the questions that you ask. Have, have, is there an example of a client ever really kind of surprising you and inspiring you for the design? Oh, wow. Um, yes, definitely. Um, I had, uh, one client, um, and it was clearly not made it very clear from the beginning. He was not a visual thinker. Um, but he was a, he was a chef, very interested in cooking, not a professional chef, but very interested in cooking and very much saw the family around the, um, the island. And, uh, after our meetings, he went away and he came back to me the whole bunch of 3D um, little tiny models of what he wanted the island to look like, of all of the different options. And he got really inspired from our meeting and he went off and started testing out island shapes all on his own. And he came up with some amazing, I mean, he was full on Zaha Hadid with angles and different shapes and stuff. And um, I, I was really touched with this, uh, that our chat and our sort of process was inspiring him as well very much out of his comfort zone and sort of paper and glue and scissors. And in terms of the briefing, um, when at these early stages, when you're working with clients, are there sort of pieces of advice that you often give to, to clients of yours or to anybody that, that might be thinking of projects of good ways of briefing an architect? Ooh. Um, again, I always think a lot of people, especially here in London, um, people are concerned about square meterage and uh, the saleability um, of their property and whether or not they're going to make their return. But I think, yes, you do need to have that part of your head on, um, here in, here in London. Um, but it's not about the square meterage and sometimes, especially places like kitchens and bathrooms, it's not about, you could have the largest kitchen imaginable and it could absolutely not work. Um, and you can have a really small, concise kitchen. And if it's very well designed and very well considered, um, it makes your daily tasks a dream. So it's not so much getting hung up on square meterage, but really about the focus and the design and um, the way it's designed, almost like bespoke and tailor-made for that person. And it's, I think, so in, to, in terms of I think achieving that, it takes a lot of introspection from the client. Um, and I think as the architect, you're the one that needs to guide them through that, asking those questions and sort of bringing to the surface um, how they use their space on a daily basis, what they want to do, what they want out of their space, what would improve their space. Um, that's specific to them. And I think a lot of people aren't used to thinking that way. Um, a lot of clients get really hung up on sort of flash magazines and the grand design magazines and I want that and that's beautiful and and that's all well and good but it's more about finding the um the design that fits that suits that's bespoke to them and are you when you're working through these projects are you working in isolation or is are there is there you've got people in your team I understand but is, is there wider collaborations as well of other people that you're working with Ah, yes, definitely. Um, and I think that's something I'm really interested in. Um, 
so it's myself and I've got a small team. Um, and uh, we've been working together for quite a few years now. And we're really sort of developing our skills and sort of working together. But we really tap into a lot of, um, I think, craftspeople that I'm interested in. Um, I want to delve more into sort of the art world and bring more art into the work. Um, but it's uh, I'm really interested in a collaborative approach. And that even goes down to the contractors that we work with um, and having a really positive collaborative approach. Um, and so, yeah, we've been over the past sort of many years, we've been really building up sort of a roster of different people that we can work with and um, honing those relationships. And when you say bringing more art into the projects, what do you mean? Ooh, um, I think a more crafted feel to work, perhaps more bespoke items, um, more sort of joinery work. Um, very, I guess, art, but not capital A art in a big, fancy, formal way. Um, but, uh, well, two different aspects, perhaps more crafted um, woodwork, um, specialist materials um, that will really enhance a space and sort of really change the feel and make it quite unique. Um, and then also, too, as well, um, I still have a lot of contact with a lot of um, uh, fine artists, painters, and etc. And trying to find ways that I can sort of dovetail architecture and art um, in the practice. And you've, you've designed an art gallery before as well. And I do think um, a lot of your houses as well do have the feel of, of art galleries. Is that an intentional aesthetic? Is that a recurring theme in your work? Perhaps. Um, yes, I, I designed an art gallery and that was a dream project. Um, it felt like it brought together all the things I was really passionate about. Um, and it turned out to be quite a success. And they bought the space. So this is in Lambert Grove. Fabulous, um, amazing client, wonderful project. Um, uh, done on a shoestring. In fact, I got paid in artwork. So um, <laughs> that, was, uh, that was definitely, um, I, I quite enjoyed that, although difficult for the, for the business, but um, very happy to do that. And then I was, um, yeah, the, the project was such a success that they ended up purchasing the, um, the property next door several years later. And um, we were brought back in to sort of redo the gallery next door. So there's two galleries side by side with sort of a similar, um, perhaps, look and feel. One is for uh, sculpture and painting and the, the next door uh, gallery is for uh, photography, fine art photography. Um so, I mean, I, that was a, a, pa a passion project. And then I think that there is always a sense of um, curating spaces and making space for, um, I guess, paintings and artwork or styling, um, but not in a big fancy way, just so that people can put their mark on the building and uh, um, their home make it very personal. Uh, we work a lot around pieces of artwork that clients may, may already have. Um, and uh, one client that we've got, we're actually going to be, uh, which is quite exciting, um, helping them purchase, sort of directing them with the purchase of quite a few pieces of artwork um, after we've done the building. Um, so there's a very cohesive feel to the project. So this is very kind of immersive working as in you're doing the architecture, you're doing the fabric of these homes, the windows, the roofs, the floors, but very much you're doing the interior design as well. Is that something that you, you really enjoy? 
Um, I think immersive is a really good word, actually. Um, very much. Uh, again, we really, it's hard to find where does architecture stop and interior design start. Um, and I think because we're dealing with um, people's private spaces, their personal spaces. So yes, you're doing, you want to create the the space and give them the kitchen, the extension that they're dreaming of, the home that they're dreaming of. Um, but I think you always get held as the architect, you're always sort of held back to sort of pick out the finishes and the, fi- uh, the fittings, um, or fittings as well. But um, there's sort of this fine line of where they let go of their architect. And, and then I think as the architect, you want to see the project straight through to the end and you want to see a very clear um, vision, not your vision, but a vision that you've shared and collaborated and built together with the client and to make sure that the whole thing comes together. I think that's a really interesting point as well about this balance of what clients choose and and then the architect's role. And there there is a cliche about architects of designing beautiful spaces and then having their head in their hands when the client chooses a curtain fabric or a sofa that's not with the aesthetic. Um, but I I really don't think that your your work suffers from that cliche at all. The, the spaces you design are very accommodating for for the people that that live in there. Do you do you find that there's there's a real kind of collaboration with the client in terms of all those choices and that there just is a very natural fit between you and client and how the spaces kind of turn out once they're occupied? I think so. I hope so. I mean, I think because we focus on those things right from the very beginning um, and that's part of the brief is that we might understand pieces of furniture that they have that are really important that they want to hold on to, um, pieces of artwork, um, colours that are right for them that they feel a part of. Um, one of our clients um, on the Connaught Road project, actually, uh, she was a, a graphic designer. And right from the very beginning, plywood was was the material. She said that she had a, um, a real interest in plywood. She didn't know how to use it, but she was very excited about plywood. She loved plywood. And she also really liked the color orange, um, which was very much out of my comfort zone, dealing with orange. Um, but we very early on, we brought together a color palette um, that was in harmony with sort of the space, perhaps. So it's really working with both of those things in tandem. I think that's interesting that you say that Connaught Road and elements of that were outside of your comfort zone. I can really relate to that. I think some projects that that we've done as a practice um ones that i really enjoyed are ones where actually we've gone out of our comfort zone and followed a kind of tangent to the client's um tastes um but connaught road is an excellent example that you're bringing up of the beautiful project of yours where you've done this window seat bench with a huge framed window onto a garden this orange um dining bench around a dining table and plywood joinery in the wall and then wrapping round into the ceiling um and i find that really interesting that initially that was something that was maybe outside of your comfort zone because it looks it looks so melissa white architect if that's something that i can uh, that i can say um but that in terms of choosing these material palettes i do think that in your work there are some recurring themes of the material palettes are usually quite simple it's usually quite simple elegant white spaces but then with the touch the joinery always stands out because I always find it so well kind of curated. It's used selectively. It's never over the top. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that, maybe in reference to that specific project? 
Yes, I mean, I loved that project and it's one that's really dear to my heart. I think the part that was out of my comfort zone was the the pop of orange, <laughs> very much. The um, I do tend to gravitate towards very calm, um, this is a personal level, but a very, very calm, very um, quiet spaces. And I think in the flux of our daily lives, we do tend to need some of those breakout zones. And I think that's where the windows come into play, um, that you do have the big open sort of family spaces, but then you do have moments of refuge and you do need moments of sort of quiet and solitude. Um, and I really like being able to bring those together, but in an open plan space and making them still work at the same time. Um, and I think it's sort of curating in a way different emotions and different um, aspects to a space. Uh, in terms of the plywood, I think that's, I do, I love joinery. I love, I have such admiration for really good quality joinery and um, bringing that to fruition. And I think that in a way, it's a bit like being a sculptor, but not without being airy-fairy or flaky, but a sculptor in terms of your um, curating these spaces. It's a three-dimensional sculpture that people are living in. Um, and I mean sculpture in a very uh, tactile, accessible way. That is what you're doing for people. And do you have, as well as plywood, are there any other sort of go-to materials or products that you, you find yourself going back to time and time again because they work so well? Um, definitely the plywood. Um, there's definitely certainly uh, light fittings that you tend to love um, that you know, because you're trying lots of different things. We try lots of things at home, actually. Um, and um, I do have some, a lot of tiles, um, a lot of porcelain tiles um, that uh, are go-to that we've used quite a bit that are they're really quite successful. The flooring in Connaught Road, again, um, we wanted a, um, a concrete look. Um, but again, that was out of the budget. So we, that was, um, so we actually ended up sourcing a really fantastic porcelain. Now I'm normally very much truth to materials. That's sort of a, a stickler for me. Um, but in this case, we found this fantastic porcelain stone that um, actually works really well uh, as a concrete, it looks concrete without being concrete. So it's very much wonderful in itself. And, um, so that's one of the ones now that we use quite a lot, actually, um, light fittings, um, countertops and trying to also manage, I guess, managing budgets is a really difficult one. Um, and so it's kind of looking at different places of where to put the money and, um, where savings can be made. And, I think I'm very much sort of the tactile part, the things that you come into contact with every day, sort of the things that you touch, the items that you sort of use with your hands. So door handles, um, perhaps the fronts of doors, um, uh, kitchen cabinets, the fronts of kitchen cabinets. I think that's where we tend to put the focus in the design. And you mentioned truth to materials, which is um, that's, that's a reference quite a lot of architects make. What do you mean by truth to materials? I guess that comes back to my Canadian roots and um, just a love of wood and a love of sort of raw natural materials. Um, that's my dream is using those more and more. Um, and uh, yeah, I think just be, having really honest materials that can have um, that wearability and that have a patina that grow with age and grow better with age. 
So it's kind of moving away from synthetic and really kind of feeling and seeing the product or the material change over time. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you get a lot of products on the um, out there at the moment um, that copy or mimic other things. And um, I just, it, it kind of, I try really hard to stay away from those as much as possible. I mean, we do. And um, yeah, just really, I think there's um, a real tactile and textural sense to materials that are raw and natural. And then being able to see them sort of age with, with the building. Can I ask you, you've, you've worked with a lot of clients, a lot of families on, on their homes. And if I was to ask you to pick out one key piece of advice that you would give to other people that are maybe sort of thinking of starting a project themselves, what would that advice be? I think it's a lot of people want to jump into design and jump into um, pictures and images that we're surrounded by, especially with Pinterest and uh, certainly Instagram and all of those. I think it's taking a step back almost before that and taking time out to think about what do you really need? What does your house need? What do you need on a daily basis? What do you aspire to having? I think it's taking time out to really build that brief um, that's going to help you really talk with an architect. And I mean, you mentioned sort of Pinterest and the power of the the image in architecture, but we're we're all guilty of it. I know that I look at a lot of other architects' work through through that um, medium, and it is a great way to be seeing a lot kind of wider. We can't visit all the buildings that that inspire us. Um, but I'm curious um, about you, Melissa, and if are there people working at the moment that are maybe working in the field of residential work or in in any kind of fields that that you really kind of look to for inspiration. Oh gosh, yeah, definitely. Um, same thing. Super guilty of the uh, the image and being sort of swayed. Um, really interested in the work of um, the young practice McLaren Excel. Um, again, they're very much a truth to materials practice um, and exploring different forms, um, which I find very interesting. Um, same with um, Aljawad Pike. Uh, again, a young practice, and uh, again, their materiality palette is is beautiful, very very minimalist, very stripped back. Um, and I'm interested in sort of a soft minimalism. So, gosh, uh, I would love to live minimalist <laughs> as as a minimalist. Um, so I've been trying to find, and I'm sort of seeking out architects that find a balance between almost like a soft minimalism or a textural minimalism. I think is what I'm very interested in. And what, what do you think it's like for your clients to, to live in the homes that you've designed? Oh, I hope, I hope it enhances their, their life completely. Um, and it show. I hope the big hope is to show and explain how architecture can make such a big impact on how you feel and how you, um, it enhances your mood and it can change the way you feel so dramatically. I know that I react very much that way to spaces. Um, and so the, actually the client with Connaught Road, um, we brought some clients in to visit them to view the project. And this was a year later. And uh, she said, even still now, a year later, every time she wakes up, she comes down to the kitchen and she has a big sigh of breath going, I love my kitchen. I love this place. And to me, that was like the ultimate goal the ultimate result as it were 
Okay, Melissa, there's three questions that I'm going to be asking all of my guests. Um, and the first one starts with um, with your home, because I think it's interesting with architects of, um, we're all humans, you know, we don't, uh, I know that my house is uh, is a project in the process. It's a house full of potential rather than a completed house. Um, so what I'm really interested in is what what is the one thing um, in your home that really annoys you? Oh, God, yes. Um, house in progress. Uh, very much the case with us as well. Um, we've tried out a couple of things just with uh, when we first moved in. With um, uh, I was interested in testing out different materials, different floors, um, pocket door systems that definitely don't work. So, I mean, it's great that I have them in my place that they don't work um, for clients. Um, and uh, for us, for me, it's the kitchen. Um, Actually, we design a lot of kitchens. We work with people for a lot of kitchens. Um, our kitchen at home is the smallest kitchen you could possibly imagine. And, um, oh, God, yeah, I can't wait to do our extension. But um, And uh, I've got all these dream kitchens, and I know exactly what it's going to be. Um, as soon as we saw our property, I had it sketched on the back of a piece of paper um, about half an hour after we walked out of the first viewing of the property, what we were going to do. Um, and it's evolved over time. What's quite great is living with it and knowing, taking time to live with it and see what it could become and what you, what you then need. So it's very much what I'm telling clients or sort of hoping to get clients to do. Um, but for, yes, for me, it's the kitchen. I cannot wait <laughs> to build a proper kitchen. And if you could describe one home that you have lived in or you've maybe perhaps visited once that made you feel happy and and tell me why. God, um, I think this brings me back to Lisbon. And um, I stayed in this incredible flat that they were renting out for next to nothing each month. Um, there was a whole bunch of, almost, of artists that were living there. Um, it was sort of grandeur dilapidated um incredible five bedroom flat uh marble columns beautiful hair dark herringbone floor and everything was falling apart completely old um it had been actually an embassy at one point um many years ago in its history um i think the argentinian embassy in at one stage during world war ii and uh, this building this flat was just so inspiring and so tactile and so uh it got me really excited about the potential of what could happen and um also the beauty of of age of materials um and i think yeah it's very much where I, this flat will always has has a really imp really strong impact on um in my memory and what i carry around with me i'm not going to be designing anything with marble columns <laughs> anytime soon um but i think it was just the uh the sense of materiality and um also to the people that we lived with um it was very communal and we shared everything right down to the last piece of bread when no one had any sort of you know a pound or uh, sorry a euro to put together two euros to put together sorry um it was such a, a collaborative sharing space both um in terms of its material in terms of the personalities just in terms of the way we lived and it was um yeah it was very beautiful uh, very much a part of my memory 
I'm going to be looking out for your next project, um, a decaying aesthetic with marble columns. I think I think it would uh, be a great addition to your portfolio. Thanks. Yes, exactly. And if you could choose any designer to design you a new home, who would you choose? Oh, this is always a tough question. Um, but I would have to say um, Alvaralto. Um, again, uh, fantastic turn of the century designer, uh, Scandinavian, um, kind of practicing at the same time as Frank Lloyd Wright. Um, but again, was very much about materiality, um, testing out different materials. I think his own house, um, is just a hodgepodge of, um, it's my dream to, to visit this place, but Villa Maria. And, um, that, uh, it's all just testing of um, different brick patterns, different brick layouts, um, bamboo, different woods, um, all different wrapping of woods. And the staircase in tr- uh, is incredible. But again, so it's, I, I, would, I would love to have him build my house and then I would want to very much be his assistant and um, learn everything I possibly could from him. That would be my dream. Melissa, it's been wonderful having you on the podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. George, thank you so much for inviting us. Um, it's been lovely and um, a really, really a pleasure to talk with somebody who's, I guess, just as passionate about architecture as, as, as I am and um, sort of looking at the same, looking at architecture in a similar way. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to find out more about Melissa White, then please visit our website at anotherarchitecturepodcast.com where you will find links to her work. And try out the podcast Instagram to see work of all my guests and get sneak previews of upcoming guests as well. If you enjoyed the episode, then please give us a review on iTunes or whichever platform you are listening on, as it's a great way to help other people find the podcast. I look forward to you joining me for the next episode. Thank you for listening.